So, let me see here. Let's dig out our Bibles and open to Galatians 2. I'm sure many of you also watched the, um, the service, the memorial service for the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II. I was very sad to hear of her death. Um, she often mentioned her faith in God, and I appreciated her good humor as well, something I was not aware of, yet on reflection I know it to be true. She never said hello or goodbye. If you stop and think about that, you've never heard her say those two words. Um, she encountered so many people every day, she omitted saying those words, and it saved her several thousand words spoken every single day. Um, she was a very good conversationalist and was extremely well informed of current events. Something else I was not aware of, um, the royal family are of German origin. Um, their, originally their uh, last name was Hanover. And it was so until World War I when they decided to change it to Windsor, uh, which is a, a much more English last name. And during that uh, memorial service, I thought it was very unfortunate that the name of Jesus was not used with any regularity during the Queen's memorial service. What a great opportunity missed. If the gospel message had been there, just think of the number of people who would have heard that. And what a great opportunity uh, that was um, not taken. I'm sad that salvation and the good news were not proclaimed. The Lord places open doors before us, and we should choose wisely the path we should take. The Holy Spirit puts us into those places, just as the Holy Spirit put Isaiah and Paul into the places they went to carry the message from God. This week, um, Leanne and I have a, a two-mile walk that we do every evening. And uh, one of Leanne's really good friends, a neighbor of ours, um, she asked me a question uh, while Leanne was gone and I was walking the dog on my own. She asked me a question about you go to church, tell me about Jesus. Yeah, 45 minute conversation was excellent. And um, she got the whole shooting match. Uh, we, we talked about, what, what do we say as people, right? I'm only human. What does that mean? I mess up, I make mistakes. Why do we do that? What is the standard God demands? You know, way up there. We can't get there. So how do we reconcile that? And the answer, of course, is Jesus. So we talked about that. And it was good. Okay. This week's passage is Galatians 3. Oh, by the way, she hasn't accepted Jesus yet. But I'm still working on her. Um, this week's passage is Galatians 3, 10 to 29. Galatians 3, 10 to 29. It's divided into two sections. The first is, the righteous shall live by faith, from Galatians 3, 10 to 3, 14. And the second is, the law and the promise, 
should be the law versus the promise, and what the differences are between those two, from 315 to 329. Um, let me read you the passage real quick. The righteous shall live by faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So then the law and the promise. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it had been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of a transgression. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, there, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, how incredible and powerful are the words that Paul has written here. That this message so complex and the mystery that is hidden is now given to us. Lord, open up a little bit of that mystery that we might understand more about Jesus, more about who Jesus was and why he came 
and why it was necessary for him to do the things that he did. Heavenly Father, carve those things on our hearts that we might never forget who Christ is and what he means to each of us. And how amazing is Jesus, Lord. And we thank you and praise you. Amen. Okay. So beginning with Galatians 3, verse 10. Galatians 3, verse 10. The righteous shall live by faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So here in verse 10, it kind of points us back to Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy 27, 11 through 28, 6. Deuteronomy 27, 11 to 28, 6. This is a, a sort of a long passage, but you, you, you'll get the picture here as we go through. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. <clears throat> Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not conform to the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come to you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. 
Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. You have to have in your mind this image of the, the entire nation of Israel crossing the Jordan between these two mountains and the splitting of the entire nation, half to go on one mountainside and the other half to go on the other mountainside, to yell both the blessing and the curse. Deuteronomy 27.26, Deuteronomy 27.26. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. James 2.10 James 2.10 For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. 1 Kings 8.46 1 Kings 8.46 If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. This is a passage about forgiveness and not acting in haste, another example of sin. Our old friend Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3, 23. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Galatians 2.16 Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It is only by faith that we are all saved. Verse 11 now. Galatians 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4. I challenge any of you to try and find the book of Habakkuk. It is like that thick. <laughs> it is really hard to find. Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There's a story about Martin Luther. Um, I've been using the study notes out of my Bible for most of the sermons, but I've also been going through this book, and this is really good. Um, 
Reformed Expository Commentary by uh, Phil Riken. Really outstanding book. So there's a story in here about Martin Luther that got my attention. Let me read you this. Martin Luther rightly understood that the works of the law cannot justify the way faith can. The law is a different way of living entirely, and it operates according to a completely different principle. To illustrate the life principle of the law, Paul quoted from the book of Leviticus. The one who does them shall live by them. This is Galatians 3.12. To quote the original passage in its entirety, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. This is Leviticus 18, 4 and 5. The law, as it found in Leviticus and elsewhere, operates on a different basis from faith. The only blessings it has to offer are those who keep it. As far as justification is concerned, the law is not for believers. It is only for doers. Therefore, the law is based on works. Thomas Schreiner offers this paraphrase to explain what Paul means. Salvation by works of the law is contrary to faith. For salvation by works of the law means that one who does the law will live by his obedience. This is the principle of the law. Just do it. If you do the law, you will be legally righteous and you will live. This implies that the law could save us if we could keep it. The trouble is, and this takes us back to the problem with the law in verse 10, that no one can keep it. If we could keep the law, we would be justified by the law. But we can't, so we will not. The principle of the law is living by doing. The problem with the law is that we cannot live up to it. This is the problem with living by the law. And, by the way, this is exactly where all of our Jewish friends are. They only have the law. They do not have Jesus. So, verse 12 but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Let's see. Oh. I think I jammed it in here. Really? Please tell me I didn't forget them. jam them in the wrong place. Right there. Now, only those of us who are like 
in our 50s or our 60s may know what these are. What are these things? Yeah, we call these coupons, right? And um, I can remember my mom clipping these things out, right? How do these work? You take these coupons into the place that you're going to buy this product, and you what with the coupon? Redeem the coupon, right? And there's a price associated with that redemption. Are you getting the parallel here? Okay, so maybe you young people don't get that. They would know something that looks more like this, right? It's a QR code, okay? Or maybe it would be the text that they have to send in. It's the same thing. You're redeeming something for a price, right? Okay. I had to go through Tuesday's mail to dig these out. You, all of you know what I'm talking about. But it, it was so clear to me as I was going through this passage that we're talking about redemption. Matthew 20, 28. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now we all know this, right? I mean, we've read it, we, we're sort of familiar with it. But there's something that's really unique about the whole curse of being hanged on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. A man hanged on a tree is cursed. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Joshua 10.26 And afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. 
And David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, There is a blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and how shall I make atonement, that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, What do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us, so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. John 19, 31 to 38. John 19, 31 to 38. Since it was the day of the preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. One of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things <clears throat> took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. So I want you to imagine for a moment how offensive Christianity was to the Jews because of the regard that we hold for Jesus. Jesus who was hanged on a tree. Imagine this for a moment. Acts 5.30 The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 1 Peter 2.4 1 Peter, sorry, 2.24 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you who were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Imagine Christians proclaiming that crucified Jesus was the Christ. To the Jews, how could this even possibly be? What an outrage. 
it was blasphemous in the extreme to proclaim that this condemned and cursed man, hung on a tree no less, could be God himself. Again, Riken had a great argument. Let me see if I can find it. Now perhaps we can begin to understand the meaning of Christ's cry of dereliction from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he hung on the tree, God the Son was accursed by God the Father. The law's curse is God's curse because the law is God's law. Thus Christ became an object of divine reprobation, cursed by both, both by God and by his law. In that old cursed cross, we see the wrath of God against the sin of humanity. The cross is a public demonstration for all time of his condemnation. Having seen the God-man on the cursed tree, who can doubt the sinfulness of sin or the wrath of God? Aristo of Pella on discussion between a Christian and a Jew. Another writer from the same period, Aristo of Pella, recorded a similar dispute between a Christian and a Jew concerning the crucifixion. When he realized what the Christian was claiming, the Jew dismissed Jesus entirely, saying, the expectation of God is that he is hanged. What could be more blasphemous than an alleged Messiah nailed to an accursed tree? Perhaps Paul himself struggled with this question. He knew that Jesus was the Lord when he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. But what could account for Christ's death on the cross? It seems to the Jews to be a real dilemma. How could the only man who ever continued to do everything written in the book of the law be subjected to its curse, either through his study of the scriptures or by direct revelation Paul was giving, was given this amazing resolution. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. A.W.F. Blunt had a comment. He's a writer from the 1800s. The language here is startling, almost shocking. We should not have dared to use it. Yet Paul means every single word of it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Matthew 27.46 Again, Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the key 
theme of Christianity. That God comes to earth and suffers the penalty for us. Verse 14. So that in, Je in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We all receive the blessings of God that were due to Jesus, the Son, which only comes to us through faith when we come into Jesus Christ. All the blessings of God only come through faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. Faith should receive the last word. And here in Galatians 3.14, faith is the last word in the verse that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Continuing on in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Here in verse 15, there's a difference between Roman law versus Greek law. This ratification under Greek law is not, it, it is not ratified until it is actually done. In Roman law, once it becomes, it becomes ratified the instant it is written down. So in Roman law, which of course Paul is a Roman, he understands this, that once it is written down, it cannot be changed. Going back to Genesis 15, in Genesis 15, the Lord encounters Abraham. And Abraham, of course, receives the promise. So starting with 15.9 and going through 18, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Genesis 15.9 through 18. And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not the cut, the, cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Skipping down to 15 through 18. As for you, you shall go out to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. A testament from God to Abraham and ultimately to us. This is actually less a covenant and it's more a testament because God ratifies it himself. Normally, Abraham would have, been, would have walked between the parts of the animal as well. But Abram does not do that here. God passes through twice, once for himself as his agreement to this promise, and again as the payment for violating that promise. 
Continuing on to verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abram and his offspring. It does not say, and to offspring, referring to many, but referring only to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Offspring in the singular, to Christ. So the covenant is to Jesus and not to the offspring of Abraham, though that is the result. This is not the point. The point is that Jesus Christ pays the price for all of us, for his church. Verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So here in verse 17, God gives the promise to Abraham long before God gives the law to Moses. The covenant is previously ratified. Verse 18, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So the promise comes first, and it cannot be annulled. Only God can fulfill it. It cannot be fulfilled by another. We simply are not capable. Therefore, it is impossible to fulfill the terms of the covenant by the law. So immediately the question should be in all of our minds, and Paul just lays it out right here, verse 19. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, but it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So here in verse 19, first you have to have grace, and then the law, Abraham, and then Moses. Why then the law? It's a good question asked by Paul. It reveals sin. Here we see we bring the sin, and by our sin, God can reveal his glorious plan and his nature. He shows the great, endless, bountiful love for his people and his church. This is giving God the most glory. In some limited ways, the law decreases sin. It is a standard of behavior that no one shall, shall cross. And in this way, the law can decrease sin. However, the law also increases sin. It makes sin known, and the very thoughts we carry condemn us. Violation of the law is a violation of God's highest holy standard. Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Continuing on, verse 20. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So here in verse 20, the meaning of the law coming to Moses by way of an angel. But is mentioned, perhaps not directly, to start. Deuteronomy 33.2, Deuteronomy 33.2. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Psalm 68.17, Psalm 68.17. 
The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Acts 7, 53. Acts 7, 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. How many times have I read that verse and not caught that part about the angels? Hebrews 2.2. Hebrews 2.2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. I got to keep, pay attention when I bump that thing. So we have the law being handed down, not by God, but from God through an intermediary, an angel. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law shows us we are sinners. The law does not produce life nor does it give life. The law produces death. Romans 2, 14 and 15. Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Romans 5, 20 and 21. Romans 5, 20 and 21. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that part about grace abounded all the more. Verse 23 and 24. Verse 23 and 24. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming faith that would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. This is the mystery of the gospel. We are held captive by the law until faith comes. Faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We were guarded by the law until faith came, until Jesus came. This was so that we might be justified by faith. Verses 25 and 26. Verses 25 and 26. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Here in verse 25 and 26, Paul establishes our personal identity within Jesus. Galatians 
For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. We are all of us children of God. We become members of God's family by adoption. God adopts us. It is a fully legally binding adoption. We have all the rights and privileges of natural born sons or daughters. We gain these rights and privileges by being covered in the blood of Jesus. By this we become the children of God. I love that third day song where they talk about being children of God and all the guys in the band and their wives walk up on stage and their children that they had adopted take off their shirt shirt. they have t-shirts underneath that says adopted and then all their natural born children take off their shirt says adopted and all the band members and their wives take off their shirts and they have t-shirts that all say adopted I love that image that is such a great powerful image that they are all adopted into the family of God I love that video Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul is not speaking here of the outward sacrament of baptism. Paul is speaking of the inward cleansing of self by the inward spiritual cleansing from faith. Some of the Christian faith make the mistake of elevating baptism to the thing that gives salvation, as though the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was not sufficient. This is a grave error, and Paul is warning us against this very thing. Baptism is a part of our testimony, that we belong to Jesus and that Jesus has come into our lives and saved us from sin. But baptism itself does not save. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Compare this with these verses, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Colossians 3.11 Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And finally, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul speaks here of the thing that divides most of us, of race. But these three things divide, race, rank, and gender. In Christ, we are all one. We are all adopted into the same family. Paul shows us that faith 
is what saves. God gives us that faith. God reveals himself to us, and we cannot resist except to accept Christ. And that is where our faith comes from. It is a gift of God, freely given, because Christ's sacrifice on the cross was sufficient and complete. Paul is trying to protect the Galatians with his letter. He proclaims that this new thing has come from the Lord. The Lord makes the paths of righteousness and justice. God has finally given us the way to bring in all of the church. And that way is Jesus. Jesus is the one, the servant, the crown prince, the king. I say this over and over because it's a reminder of all the things that Jesus is. Jesus has always been there. Jesus is the one, the crown prince, not created, not made, and forever eternal. Jesus is the one that comes, the servant, the son of God, not created, not made, and forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, how incredible and powerful are the words of Paul telling us all the things that we think we're doing to try and please you. And that's not the point. We need to remember that none of the things that we do could possibly please you. But when we put on faith, faith in Jesus, and we stand before you on that last day, Lord, you will see your Son. You will not see us and all the failures that we bring and all the errors and all the tragedies and disgraces and shameful behavior. But instead, Lord, you will see your Son standing there who paid the price Heavenly Father, how amazing will that day be when we are all welcomed into the new Jerusalem to sing praise and honor and glory to you. We look forward to that day when Jesus comes to bring us all in. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we honor you and we love your son, Jesus. And this